If you want to open your Bibles, this morning's message, uh, scripture text, is Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, reading through chapter 3, verse 5. And in just a moment, we're going to read that as we continue this sermon series from Galatians, God's Liberating Love. Before I read the scripture, I'd like for us to bow together for just a few moments to be in God's presence, to quiet ourselves, to center ourselves, to be open and available to the Spirit's working. We want, Heavenly Father, to be open to your Spirit's instruction and comfort and care and challenge. We pray that you might speak to our hearts in fresh and powerful ways. When we gather as your people, we are aware every Lord's Day that we gather as a global church because you did not just place us in Jefferson City or Cole County or the state of Missouri or the United States, but you placed us in your world, the world you love so much. We pray today for victims of earthquake in Indonesia, for those in California and Canada who are suffering from wildfires. We pray for persecuted people groups and regions all over our world today, especially those suffering religious persecution. We pray for the hungry, the homeless, the displaced, the refugees. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray also for those within our own fellowship who are grieving the passing of loved ones or dealing with illness or personal problems that somehow this morning just seem insurmountable. May you be the deliverer and healer and guide. Today we ask that you deliver us and give us freedom from religious systems that have us enslaved to our own egos and our own pride. Deliver us from systems of thought where we set impossible standards for ourselves and for others and therefore live a life of criticism and gossip and tearing down. Heal us, God, and make us your healthy disciples. Help us this morning to hear your words and to be faithful and obedient. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as I read aloud from Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and following. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians... Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law 
or by your believing what you heard. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I begin, I want to say a word of encouragement to you about uh, getting the most from this sermon series. Uh, There are on display down on a table in our church library media center, which is just down these middle steps, not very far away, Um, wonderful resources about the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to commend to you one book that's there. Uh, N.T. Wright wrote a book entitled Paul, A Biography. And I think we have that on the screen, a picture of the cover. Uh, N.T. Wright is a very noted Bible scholar from uh, Great Britain. Uh, He writes in a very accessible style. And it does, this book does an amazing job of putting in chronological order uh, Paul's journeys and his encounters with churches, and he has a lot to say about the book of Galatians and how Paul preaches about liberation through Christ. And so uh, visit the Media Center and also visit online the other sermons in this series so that if you miss one or want to go back and reflect on it and think about it, uh, you'll know that you have resources that are there and available for you. And uh, we we want to maximize this sermon series because as I said last week, some very, very crucial, uh, vital realities are there for us uh, to get free from all kinds of slavery. Richard Heffler wrote a book once entitled, Will Daylight Come? And in the book, he tells the delightful story about two children, Sally and her brother Johnny, visiting Grandma and Grandpa on the farm. Now, Johnny had just received his first ever slingshot, and he was really excited. He went out into the woods, and he practiced, and he couldn't hit anything. And so he was discouraged and came back to the backyard, and just before he went in for lunch, he saw Grandma's favorite duck. And he thought, well, I haven't hit the broadside of a barn all day long. I'll just try. He took a rock, let fly, and whack. One dead duck. His sister Sally saw the whole thing. Johnny didn't see her. He was in a panic. He grabbed the duck and he hid the dead duck in a pile of wood around by the shed. They went in for lunch, and during lunch, Grandma said, you know, Sally, I think it's your turn to do dishes uh, after the meal. And she said, no, actually, Johnny said he'd take my turn. (laughs) And Johnny's eyes got big, and she mouthed the words, the dead duck. And Johnny just hung his head and cleaned up the kitchen. The next day, Grandpa announced, I'm going fishing. Anybody want to go with me? Sally didn't have her chores done yet. She said, but guess what, Grandpa? Johnny wants to do my chores. And this went on for several days. And finally, Johnny couldn't stand it any longer. And he told his Grandma everything. And listen to what Grandma said. She said, I saw the whole thing happen from the kitchen window. I forgave you immediately because I love you. But I was waiting to see how long you would let your sister enslave you. Now I tell that story for a lot of reasons. But one of them is to see the divergence, the separation of healthy guilt, which is a gift from God, that can lead us to repent and recognize our sin and need. To distinguish between healthy 
guilt and unhealthy enslaving shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the, tr- the reality of what's wrong with my life. Shame is guilt that attempts to be covered up in the woodpile. Uh, we start pretending and compensating and we start making lists of things to be perfect about because if we can be perfect about those things, we medicate our shame and we don't have to think about our guilt. Some of us here this morning have lived tyrannized by the shoulds and oughts. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Growing up, playing in your head the constant list of I should, I ought, or I should not, I ought not, and we are enslaved to the shoulds and oughts. We're living a shame-based religion. I'm not sure at times it's Christianity. It's a shame-based religion, which is not the gospel. Jesus did not intend the good news of his salvation, to be a burden to be carried. That's what he was fighting against. It was something powerful to carry us. But the shoulds and oughts bog us down to where we we get in our heads that we have to score A-plus on all of God's assignments. And if we don't score A-plus on everything in life, then we have failed. You know the definition of a perfectionist? A perfectionist is someone who takes great pains and gives them. Perfectionists are a pain to be around. Just ask my wife. I mean, you never forgive yourself, so you never forgive anybody else for being imperfect. And it's a terrible prison. And we actually invent systems. Our our hearts and minds become factories of shame. And it takes so little to set the assembly line off and get it going. And it's so destructive and so enslaving. We we invent things. We, We fall into legalism because it's easier to check off a list than it is to live in a messy relationship. Do you know that in the colonial America, in the colony of Connecticut, there were Sabbath laws passed that made it a crime to kiss your spouse on Sunday? How many of you men and women have broken Sabbath already today? I did. I kissed my wife goodbye before I left this morning. Isn't that silly? These excessive rules, because somehow we can assuage our perfectionism. Reminds me, E. Stanley Jones once said, and and I'm paraphrasing him, he said, being a Baptist doesn't keep you from sinning, it just keeps you from enjoying it. (laughs) That's what legalism does. It just makes us miserable. makes everybody around us miserable. The Apostle Paul was being honest about that. He said, when I was caught up in legalism, uh, I'm paraphrasing now, quoting from the message that that verse 
21 of Galatians 2, he says, I tried living by rules and working my head off. And then he says, and it did not work. I tried living by rules and working my head off, and it did not work. He was being honest. And that's where the cross comes in, the cross of Jesus Christ. In the next verse, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I once knew a circuit judge in a small city. We were good friends. Sometimes he'd tell me about his day. He said one day when we were visiting, he said, Today, I sat at my bench and I passed sentence on a man who had been guilty of passing bad checks. Wasn't his first offense. I passed sentence on him. And then he said, I immediately suspended the sentence and I took him into my chambers And I helped him with a budget so he would not repeat that cycle. My friend, the judge, was that man's judge and his liberator at the same time. Jesus Christ and the cross are our judges and our liberators. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. I, something dies there when I see my sinfulness and my, my, my weakness and inability to live the truth. Nevertheless, I live. There's that liberation. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Now, does Paul mean by that passage that he becomes a robot? He dies, Jesus Christ comes to live inside him, and if he's just... He's just a machine? No. He means that the, the life of Jesus Christ comes to live through his unique personality. Just as the life of Jesus Christ liberates us and comes to live through our unique personalities. And Paul was also saying, I, I no longer live by externally, externally imposed shoulds and oughts. I live by internal motivation an internal gyroscope, an internal power source that gives me new want-tos and new desires and sets me free from having to be perfect all the time because I have a grace-filled Savior who forgives me when I stumble. He's already inside of me. Now, I can think of so many applications to this powerful and liberating word. Uh, One application is our church activities. How easily we fall into the trap of thinking if we are attending church regularly, we are following Jesus. Are the two synonymous? No, the externals can't fix the internal. How easily we assume that if we're busy doing church activities, teaching a class singing in the choir, making visits, giving money, going on mission trips, that that's a substitute for following Jesus. But Paul says no. And and he starts out in chapter 3, he says, you foolish Galatians, did you think you could start out 
by depending on God's grace and then reach a point where you say, God, I got this from here. I don't need you anymore. You're going to finish in your own strength? He said, no, we need his grace every day. We need his internal working. We need to be continually liberated from all of those idols and all those perfectionisms. I can think of another application. And and that's simply the struggle that we all have with our significance. The teen, the youth who is struggling with self-hatred and peer pressure and never seeming to have the right clothes and never being cool enough and popular enough and significant enough. The adult who doesn't feel validated in a relationship or, or at the workplace. The person recently retired who used to have people looking to you for decisions and, and the exertion of power and now who are you when you're not that person? The senior adult who feels invisible as the world sort of just rushes by. The struggle for significance is real. Let me give you a little background to the letter, the epistle of Galatians. Galatians was a region, not a a city, but a region in central Turkey, Asia Minor. We know from historical sources that Caesar, the emperor was sending retired Roman senators and retired Roman soldiers to Galatia because the city of Rome was becoming too crowded. So get this, you have a region in the heart of of Turkey, Asia Minor, populated by retired senators who used to be somebodies and retired soldiers who were the very embodiment of perfection standards, following rules to the letter of the law. They come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're struggling with perfectionism. They're struggling with a feeling of insignificance. And Paul begins to write the gospel to them in this letter. And when they ask the question, who am I when I'm not that important person anymore, Paul answers, you are a person in Jesus Christ. That gives you value and significance. Period. You see, to be in Christ means that now God regards us the same way he regards his son Jesus Christ. To be in Christ means that God looks at us the same way God looks at Jesus. How does God look at Jesus? At Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3, 17, the voice from heaven comes from God looking down on his son Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The voice didn't say, Jesus, if you will go back to the carpenter shop and work 12 hours a day, 7 days a week, and never make a mistake, I'll love you. The voice didn't say that. Did the voice say from heaven, Jesus, if you will memorize the, one of the books of the Torah and do a lot of religious ceremonial things, I'll love you. The voice says, before Jesus had done anything in public ministry, this is my beloved son. I love him. 
That's how God loves us. I once knew of a courageous teenage girl who was battling self-hatred, lots of junk from her peers, lots of self-doubt about her significance and esteem, and with the help of her family and her Christian faith, she decided there was a word she was going to live by in the upcoming months, and she was going to keep it front and center in her life, and it's this word right here, enough. God's love for me is enough. That gives me significance. Jesus' death for me is enough. That gives me significance. I don't have to add anything to be validated as a person of worth because I am a person of significance. The liberating love of God, Paul writes about, is enough. Let's remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ liberates us from. This is, and by the way, this is a partial list. Through Jesus Christ, we are liberated from self-salvation schemes, from self-righteousness, from guilt, from shame, from fear, from destructive lifestyles and addictions, from the urge to please others, from perfectionism addictions, from obsession with appearances, from seeking significance through work or possessions or social status. In Jesus Christ, we are loved. And that is enough. God has liberated us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is enough. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, set us free. Heavenly Father, set us free to live authentically. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.